When you're lost in the darkness, look for the pod. Specifically, the Prestige TV podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're breaking down every new episode of HBO's The Last of Us. On Sunday nights, grab your battery and join Van Lathan and Charles Holmes for an instant reaction to the latest episode. Then head back to the QZ on Tuesdays for a deep dive with Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin. From character arcs to video game adaptation choices, story themes to needle drops, we'll parse every inch of this cordyceps-coated universe. Watch out for mouth tendrils and follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. It's Thursday, February 9th. It's almost Valentine's Day. Love has replaced cynicism in the air here at the town. That means rom-coms. The genre goes all the way back to the beginning of movies, but there isn't a traditional rom-com in theaters for this Valentine's Day weekend, unless you count Magic Bike 3, which I really don't, or the Titanic reissue, which I definitely don't. But over on streaming, just in the past couple weeks, we've had Shotgun Wedding with Jennifer Lopez and Josh Jumel on Amazon, You People with Jonah Hill and Lauren London on Netflix, and also on Netflix, we've got Your Place or Mine with Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher, written and directed by Aline Brosh McKenna. The movie's fun, feels kind of old school, like the star-driven rom-coms of the 90s and 2000s. And Aline is basically a wizard of the genre. This is her first movie as a director, but she's written Devil Wears Prada, 27 Dresses, Morning Glory, Laws of Attraction. She created the long-running show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and she's done script work on everything from Date Night to Cruella and a bunch of others. It's kind of a weird time for rom-coms. They're big on streaming, and there have been recent hits in theaters like Lost City with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, but not as many as there used to be. And there's economics behind that. The business has basically been pulling back from rom-coms in theaters, and streaming is filling the gap there. Plus, increasingly, the stars in these movies are all over 40, or in some cases over 60. There aren't a lot of young movie stars doing these movies. We'll get into the reasons for that and why they're on streaming and not in theaters, and if there's even a secret formula for writing a hit rom-com. All of that today with Aline Brosh McKenna. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Aline Brosh McKenna, writer extraordinaire, director, producer. Uh, you, I was looking at your IMDb, and God, it's pretty impressive you're going back like 20 years now of just like some movies that just get rewatched and rewatched first of all welcome thank you uh so I, you know you are the perfect person to talk about this subject with because i have craig and i have talked about this on the show a bunch the kind of state of comedy and the state of the romantic comedy and the place that it's in it's in a weird place right now don't you agree I, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot, obviously, because this is uh, the world I've worked in for a long time. And so I have a theory, I have some theories. Um, I think one of the things that's happened with comedy is that 
people, those movies are going to streaming. And what was fun about going to comedies always, especially when I was a teenager, is to go and see Pee Wee's Big Adventure with your friends and laugh your ass off and fall on the floor. And I think the fact that people are seeing these in their home is people are craving that kind of communal experience. They're not getting that in comedies. I just don't think it's the same exact experience to be sitting in your house with your dog and cracking up. So I think that there's a little bit of a an experience gap there where it's not quite what we remember from the actual theatrical experience where even a movie that was like maybe not the best, but you could go and laugh with your friends on your date or whatever. You're sort of missing that experience. But why is that? I mean, why are this like the, I agree with you that the psychology of comedies hasn't changed. People like that, but the studios are not putting them in the, in theaters. And then when they do something like bros last summer, the audience doesn't show up. So what, right. what is it about the theatricality question that is the missing link here? So the other, when the two movies that I wrote sort of that are kind of, you know, for me, the signature comedies of my movie career were Prada and 27 Dresses. And those came out during the DVD boom. So if you could could make a decent comedy for a pretty good price, there was a huge DVD market for people. There's a huge aftermarket. And when that went away, what happened is the, the budgets for comedies have kind of stayed the same. They're, they're pretty much the same as when we made those movies. And I think what happened with romantic comedies specifically is that they stopped being the big two-handers. And that was, you know, the reason that I wanted to write these movies was Cary Grant, uh, Barbara Stanwyck, Claudette Colbert, Catherine Hepburn, Clark Gable, all those um, stars. And you would go see, you know, Tom and Meg, like movies with two big stars in them. And I think there's, looks, there's lots of romantic comedies, which are not that, that I've loved over the past couple of years, but I think the big, big star two-hander experience when those movies um, stopped being kind of undergirded by the DVD market, what happened, and I, this was something that I experienced a lot, was you'd get the, one of the big stars and then the other star would be somebody kind of more up and coming sure. or, and and I that's fine. Look, there's a lot of great ones like that, but I think there is something about that big Hollywood rom-com that really works great with two people that are not just famous, but people that we know well. I loved, always loved big Hollywood stuff as a kid. And then when I discovered those old movies. So I I, I love that big two-hander experience too. And I just was really lucky that Netflix supported that. I mean, you mentioned the comfort level and the fact that we've kind of grown up with these people and the uh, that being an element that you like about the romantic comedy. But one thing that has struck me about the recent trend towards streamers, streaming services doing rom-coms is that the stars tend to be older. Like you look at J-Lo, she's in her 50s and she's doing rom-coms. If you look at, you know, um, I watched You People the other night, which is a rom-com. It's, it's sort of presented differently, but it's wrong. Jonah Hill's 40 years old doing this. You know, your movie, has your stars are in their mid-40s. And then you look back at 27 Dresses, Hathaway and Heigl, they were in their mid-20s. Now, obviously, yeah. that was a wedding movie, so it's a little different. But do you think that the reason why these movies are being made with older stars is just because there aren't any younger stars that people have that attachment to or that they want to see in these movies? Well, the other thing that rom-coms are really good for, in addition to like giving you stars that you love, is breaking new people. So, um, 
But these aren't, I mean, these, like, Ashton and Reese, we know them. And now no, there are right, others right, right. in the movie, but. So a lot of them, like, set it up. Glenn and Zoe were new, and now yep. Glenn and Zoe are bigger stars. And so they're really good for breaking new people, too. Catherine had been on um, TV show, but she, and she had done Knocked Up, but this was like a 27 Dresses was a big vehicle for her. Mm -hmm. So those are the things I love. I love that a rom-com can break a new star, and then I love that a rom-com can give you a familiar star. But can it break new stars? That means I know Netflix has, like, To All the Boys and some of the other sort of Netflix stars that they've created, but can a rom-com break a real new star now? I think so. I mean, I think if you look at the, there's a Jenny Ortega romantic comedy that Paramount made. Um, I think if Sydney Sweeney, um, Glenn, Zendaya, I think there's a big audience for those. And that's actually something that I'm trying to do. I have, my company is called Lean Machine because it's hard for people to pronounce my name. And, and one day <laughs> my husband was just like, just say a lean mean fighting machine. Nice. Um, but we were working with like, we have 15, 16 projects that are a lot in the comedy and romantic comedy space. And I, a lot of the writers that we work with are in their thirties and grew up with these movies mm -hmm. and are dying to do them. So I'm always looking for, um, you know, one of the things, cause I, I joined the writers guild in 1991. I've been doing this a long time. And one of the skills that I have, and one of the reasons that I recommend that people listen to your podcast and kind of read, read the wall street journal now writers is because you want to find Who's the buyer for your thing? So right now for romantic comedies, I'd say like, you can make them for five to $10 million. Palm Springs, I Want You Back. Those both worked really well in their own spaces. Um, or you can find people who are going to give you the resources to really make uh, one on the bigger scale, you know? So there's always been like swingers and then, you know, sleepless. There's always been kind of a range. What I would love to see is using the opportunity for streamers to make romantic comedies with um, new kind of stars. Like we're doing a romantic comedy. We're developing one for Ashley Nicole Black to write and star in from um, Black Lady Sketch Show. And she wrote on Ted Lasso and she's mm -hmm. incredibly funny and beautiful. And, and you know, she really grew up on those um, romantic comedies. And so th I think there's a hunger out there. It's funny. I always wanted to like, um, if I, if we did a, a company that was based on female talent, I always thought it would be a good idea to call it big surprise because <laughs> it's like girls trip work, big surprise, Prada, right. big surprise, right. Mamma Mia. It's like the, the perpetual surprise. And it, it kind of, it's interesting. It's because, you know, we're still looking to balance out the decision makers and the people who write about pop culture, we're still looking to demographically, you know, even those out a bit to where I think it won't be surprising. But I think a lot of times, you know, audiences for these movies know that they're coming out and are excited about them. And, and there does seem to be a bit of a wave towards them. But I think in this flux, what I always say to writers is like, in this flux, you can find opportunity. You know, you, you can find who's where, who's interested in what, um, you know, who's looking for what, who's, who's, who has the platform. It just changes so much because what will happen now is it's like, oh, so-and-so is buying this. And then you kind of wander over to that. And then depending on whether it works or not. Um, so you have to be as a, as a writer, but mainly as a producer, you have to be on top of what these trends are and who's buying what. So it's not you mentioned really the stars. Yeah. So like, you mentioned Zendaya or Sydney Sweeney as potential rom-com stars, but a lot of the younger stars, they're just not 
doing these movies. Right. I mean, you you think, oh, like someone like Florence Pugh or, you know, these are young in-demand stars that a generation ago might have gravitated towards these types of movies the way that Reese Witherspoon did or Kate Hudson or Katherine Heigl. They're not doing those, at least not that I'm seeing. And why is that? I don't know. I think there are these things where it, it, What's cool um, circles around. I think I'm older than you, but we, I can, you can remember when a superhero movie was like, oh my God, like right. embarrassing, you know, it was like they were so bad and that's so the Leo, That's the Leo DiCaprio rule that he told Chalamet. He said, right. no hard drugs and no superheroes. Right. I also am hoping that like female, you know, a lot of times in romantic comedies, you're supporting a female star and it is a two hander Mm -hmm. um, and they're often going to be written or directed by women. And I think what I've noticed is that young people are a bit more egalitarian when it comes to these things. I I will tell you that I talk to a lot of actors who say to me, I would love to do a movie like that. So we're actively trying to put more of those together and find the people who have a love for it. Like Ashton loves these movies. He grew up on them. He loves them. He's the hugest Reese Witherspoon fan um, and is not afraid to be, to share billing with uh, a female star. Do you think a little bit it's generational though? I mean, Ashton is a guy in his mid forties and some of these, you know, the gender politics have really changed over the past 20 years. And I'm curious your perspective on that because a movie like 27 Dresses, which kind of puts the wedding on a pedestal and these types of movies, you you probably wouldn't make that movie the same way today. And I think a lot of these comedies, not, I don't want to say suffer, but there's a, there's a different perspective now on this subject matter where the gender roles are different and the way that, right. that these women are portrayed is just different now. Different. And has that, how has that impacted the genre from your perspective? Well, I think a lot of it's being done on television really well. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of good romantic comedies have been on television. Um, you know, Jane the Virgin, You're the Worst, there's been a lot. But like Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney are doing a movie right now that uh, one of the crazy ex-assistants ex-assistants wrote, Alana Wolpert wrote, that Will Gluck is rewriting and directing. And um, yeah, and that just was announced recently. And I do think, I think because, and like Jenny Ortega was saying is in this Paramount movie, I think that um, as we're minting new stars, I do think they all want to do it. And I, but I think the other thing is, as I said, because the budget dropped off so much post-DVD, I think a lot of actors are craving to make it with some scale, right? So that it feels uh, feels a bit Nancy Nora or feels, you know, like... Romance in the Stone. I mean, if you look at the successes last year, yes. that Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum movie, um, that movie did well, did $100 million. And it was basically a rom-com, but yes. they added in some adventure elements. And if right. you look at Ticket to Paradise with... Clooney and Julia Roberts, like that did pretty well. And it had this kind of tropical feel to it. And those are big legacy stars that people know and they know them around the world. I don't know that if you made Ticket to Paradise with stars in their 30s, although that really wouldn't work because they were the parents, that wouldn't make sense. But you know what I'm saying. There was that there was a Bette Midler Dennis Farina movie called I can't remember what it was called, but it was uh, like the kids get married and they are divorced and they I can't remember that was like. But I also, here's the thing, I'm missing other genres like 
female buddy movies, like an outrageous fortune, you sure. know? So I'm trying to work from like, if you build it, they will come um, point of view in that, like it's because it's still big surprise because, you know, genres that appeal to women that tend to work extremely well Wednesday, you know, but is still the business still takes a second to wrap their mind around it. So I think there'll be more of that. And I'm really lucky that I got to see that I'm going to get to see our movie in person. You know, we tested it a couple of times. We're, you know, doing um, some fan screenings and getting to see your movie with a live audience, a comedy where people laugh. Um, you know, we have so many really, really funny people in this movie. And again, we had the support. The other thing is, um, so our cast has Jesse Williams, Tig Notaro, Steve Zahn, Zoe Chow, and then five cameos from Crazy X uh, folks. And I think that was another thing you love about romantic comedies, right? Like Harry Met Sally, it's like um, Bruno and Carrie Fisher. And like the friends friends are always so great and so fun. So, you know, I, I think it's cyclical, you know, genres come and go right now. It seems to me like horror horror is, um, you know, really like a a pretty fail safe genre, but it, it changes a lot. I mean, you know, we also lived through the 70 different versions of die hard on a whatever (laughs) die hard and in, uh, in Matt's Volvo, like it's, 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 you know, so I think it's cyclical, but, um, I'm really hoping this one works. And also I got to say, like, I know you guys talk about the streamers a lot. Netflix was really awesome to work for. There's like a great spirit there. Cause you know, once you get past the production phase and the development folks who I, a lot of them I've known for a long time, like mm-hmm. our executive Cassidy Lang, I've known for a long time. And, um, Tendon Agenda, who was there when we were making the movie, I've known for a really long time. Then you shift into the publicity people, the PR, the post. And they're really, you know, Netflix has this really like can-do, gung-ho, excited, lots of resources vibe to it. I, I can't speak to like, you know it's stock price and how that's, but I can say True. As a, well, the as marketing a, also, you got to live with the fact that your movie's probably not going to get the same level of marketing as it would if it were a theatrical release, which I know bothers a lot of people. Well, they put it, move it pretty far in. That's the thing that's been weird to me is that the movie comes out a week from Friday and all of our press is like pretty jammed into the, right. you know, we're not doing any of we're doing way less of the long lead. Cause when they put it up on, social media, it'll say like, now I want to watch it. Now I want to watch it now, 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 which is very different. Do you, what do you take from test audiences? You really, the laughs are really, really interesting, really interesting to see where people laugh, what makes them laugh, what they respond to. It really is like opening a candy box just to see. Um, There's things that you think for sure will work that don't. And, you know, you often have say to people like, well, let's see how it plays. Let's see how it plays. Um, And there's just a feeling you can get a feedback you can get in an audience that you can't get anywhere else. Um, And so I I think they're very interesting. I think you can't follow them like as a dictate because a lot of times it's sort of like food, right? Like people have a sense of why that that something tastes good or not, but they don't know exactly why, right? Like they're like, ah, this was too sweet, but they don't know it's because you, you switched out your honey for agave syrup or whatever, but they do, they will respond to um, certain things. And so that's really helpful to see. And then there's stuff like the audience, our audience was very, very familiar with Jesse Williams from Gray's. And um, so we got on the, um, 
one of the test things and they were, and somebody kept talking about Jackson Avery and it took me a while to figure out that that's the character that he, he played on Grey's. So it's uh, interesting to see also what an audience brings to a movie. Do you have a checklist or some would say like a formula or a science for these scripts? Are there certain things that a rom-com script has to have? Like there needs to be a, you know, massive breakup scene. There needs to be the <laughs> montage walking through the park. There needs to be something that you keep going back to, or is this not a science? You know, Costigan likes to say, uh, you make your rom-coms, you make the rom-rommy and the com-commy, you know, like, the sassy friend, you got to have that. You got to right. have. I don't think of it through a genre lens as much. I do and I don't. I mean, I know what the genres are. We spoofed it for four years on Crazy X. So mm -hmm. we looked at it from that angle too. But I sort of think of these movies more as coming of age movies. And this happens to be a coming of age movie for people who are in their 40s. <laughs> and um, happen to be two of the. It's funny because I saw something where people are like, God, these, these. These they look so good. They look face tuned, and they're they're not. They're just like oh please, really? <laughs> they're just no, everybody they're does just, it. It's okay. You can say that they they're do. not. This is I literally there. You can't. It's very hard. You cannot take a bad picture of these two. And then also we have the other thing is we have Florian Ballhouse, who I would say is like one of the best at for he did Prada. Um, he did a a, a gorgeous. So uh, he's movie. giving them the Carrie Lake, you know, Snapchat filter. On... He's very. Oh no, not well, not <laughs> filters, just lighting, just just good old fashioned lighting. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kids' education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. So you've worked in television, you worked in film. Yes. Uh, you must be following what's going on in the business right now. We're seeing shows canceled after they've been renewed. We're seeing shows that are being scrapped and shopped once they already have been finished. They've finished production. Uh, that's got to be terrifying, terrifying for someone like you these days. What are you <laughs> thinking? And what are your friends in the writer community thinking? 
I'm I'm like the old lady from the hills. You know, I've been I, I joined the guild in 1991. I've been doing this a long time, and I have a lot of young people in my life that I work with. You know, writers, um, this, the writers on the show I'm doing right now, the the folks who work with me, and I'm kind of known for being like I'm a big know it all. So I'm a little bit like this is what's going to happen, guys. I've been doing this a long time. Let me tell you. And this year, for the first time, I'm like, well, I never heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, they shot a whole thing they're not going to air it and they're going to pull all the episodes yeah didn't know that was the thing right you wake up on a tuesday and your show is not on the streaming service that you made it for and you just shot eight episodes they don't want it anymore that's heartbreaking and i that happened to a couple friends of mine um luckily one of them it got picked up somewhere else but that and also like a ceo leaves and comes back that's a new one um, there's a lot of, <laughs> of things that like, you know, you also know from covering this business a long time, it was a very, very, very stable business when I got into it in 1991. It was like, there were only these buyers, there were only this network. It was a very kind of, um, you know, it was a very predictable system. And now, as I said, you know, there's a lot of chaos, but I think for writers and filmmakers, you got to look at that as an opportunity because there are people coming who are hungry, who need certain things. Um, the business is changing. Like I didn't really know what Pluto was until you guys talked about it on the show. Right. Um, and, and I, and I think what's going to be interesting, you know, kids, especially people go where the shows are. So I'm really looking for like that search button that you have that like is going to say like, where is the trader? That's the billion dollar idea. That's what I, I mean, everybody wants that. Is the, is the filter through which everything is passed and you say, I would like to find this and it will tell you exactly where that is. Or I, I am feeling like this kind of movie, show me Aston Kutcher and Reese Witherspoon and right. the movie comes up. Well, one of the things that, that drives me crazy is that some of the streamers, if you're in there, it's going to be free. And some of them, if you're in there, they're going to throw you a curveball where like, yes, we have this, but this is seven bucks. Right. And that's, I, I would rather be like separate my peanut butter and jelly where like, if I'm in the free zone, I want everything I search to be free. Yep. And if I'm in the pay zone, then. Oh, it's worse if you have a young kid. I have right. a young kid where you search for the cartoon he wants to watch and then it comes up and he sees it and it costs money. And you're oh, like, oh, damn it. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'll tell you that um, I think uh, Bloom will never forgive me because I was watching her daughter one day and I put on Coco Melon <laughs> and she was like, man, we were saving Coco Melon. <laughs> Only a parent can decide when to start the Coco Melon. <laughs> it's, it's toddler crack. It really is. <laughs> they cannot stop once you start. <laughs> um, it's, it's just a weird time. I think, you know, it would, someone texted me like that their show, their Showtime show was getting scrapped. And it's like, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up on like the TJ Maxx website. Like oh, you can yeah. now watch, <laughs> you can now watch eight episodes of this show on the TJ Maxx website. And I'm like, okay, great. My joke has always been toaster television. Cause I think if Kellogg could make a toaster, like while you're waiting for your bagel or your waffle, there's like something playing on the side, a toaster that's actually playing you some content. <laughs> Well, congrats on the film. It's on Thank Netflix. You. And I look forward to seeing the sequel on the TJ Maxx website in 2026. Yes. Well, now we're going to go, um, <laughs> we're going to go fully microwave, microwave oven only. Yes. Yeah. The smart, yes. the smart kitchen <laughs> with exclusive content. Uh, all right. Thanks. Aline Brosh McKenna. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Craig, you're in Arizona. How's the Super Bowl week going? 
It's been really good. What a week for Phoenix. They just got Kevin Durant as well. I know. I feel like the buzz there must be electric. You can literally see their arena from your hotel, right? I'm staring at it right now, yes. Kevin should be here any minute. <laughs> uh, you know, the Super Bowl, I feel like, is poised for some pretty big numbers uh, this weekend. It's, uh, everything seems to be aligning. They've got two MVP quarterbacks. They've got teams with pretty rabid followings in the Eagles and the Chiefs. They All the numbers for football have been up this year, except for Thursday Night Football, which is on Amazon for the first time. But the CBS and Fox numbers are, are up. And you've got, you know, pretty big media markets in Philadelphia, which covers a lot of New York and you know Eastern Seaboard. Um, Kansas City, not a huge market, but the fans there really, really love the team. And it over-indexes, not like somewhere like L.A. where people don't really care. So my prediction is that the ratings are going to be a record for the Super Bowl. So the line right now is 114 million. That are the, that's the gambling line for the ratings, which the record is around 114, 115. Yeah, and interestingly enough, one of the executives at Fox, which is airing the game, did an interview this past week in which he predicted that the game will attract 115 million viewers. Now that's English and Spanish. And that's including streaming as well as the linear audience. Uh, but that would be a record if they can get to that. And th I mean, that would just be extraordinary. Given the environment right now where there are fewer cable subscribers and more cord cutters, uh, I think that's just a crazy number. But they are including out-of-home viewing. The last couple of years, they've included the number of people that watch out-of-home. Uh, Nielsen added that. So that's where we're getting these big number increases. And that means restaurants, bars, hotels, like stuff like that. Exactly. To the extent they measure them. I actually don't know how Nielsen does that. I'd love if someone knows, please email me or. Right. If DM there's me. 400 people in a bar, is that 400 viewers? <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know how in the world you would ever gauge that. But they do now purport to measure out of home viewing, uh, not just households. So that can that helps as well. Um, are you going to bet? Are you going to take? Are you going to take the over? Are you going to what? Are you are you going to put money on this? I said on I, I host the fantasy football podcast for the Ringer, and I, mm -hmm. I took the over on it after speaking with you. Yeah, well, saying it on a podcast and actually putting your money where your your mouth is are two different things. Are you going to actually bet on this? I will, and luckily now that I'm in Arizona, FanDuel, you can actually bet here, unlike California where I live. So I'm going to be putting down a lot of capital this weekend. Right, you don't have to go to some like offshore, sketchy Bahamian no. <laughs> fan duel, but F A N D O O L, <laughs> or it's like dot A G. It's run out of Argentina or something like that. No, right. I'm not doing that. Right, exactly. Um, all right, well, good luck to you. I will not be putting any money on it. I will be watching though, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm. I, I think there, there's a lot of caveats here. Let's say you know the game is a blowout, or Mahomes' ankle falls off and he's out, or something happens where the game is you know side is hijacked and we don't get the result that leads to a larger audience. This could all change, but I'm going to go with the over. I think I think this is going to be a, a record-breaking Super Bowl. Also, Rihanna. Rihanna's a huge star. Oh yeah, don't discount Rihanna. I think there's a lot of anticipation just because she hasn't performed in so long. And uh, we'll see what our new music is. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Aline Brosh-McKenna. And I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. I want to thank the city of Phoenix for hosting you this week. And I want to thank you. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC Pants. 
They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 